You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined once again by Tommy Thornton. Tom, welcome. Hey, Ash. Nice to see you. It's another Tuesday. Pleasure to be here with you again. A lot happening today. We're going to be talking about the extraordinary volatility in Bitcoin, uh, Fed Chair Powell's testimony on the Hill, uh, and market sentiment rebounding in U.S. equities. But first, Tommy, the Real Vision Festival of Learning kicks off at 10 a.m. tomorrow. What are you doing in the festival? Tell me about this. I, I think I'm speaking three times, and I'm really looking forward to um, meeting Mike Green. And I've never chatted with Mike before. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Hold on, let me turn this down a little. Um, I'm a huge fan of Mike's work. Uh, I think he's one of the more measured people that I've ever watched on Real Vision. And he's actually going to interview me about, I can't say the word, but um, <laughs> how I, it's something like how I effed up and ended up making money. So there, I actually have uh, done that. And I, it's, it's not like, oh, I, you know, bought something and, it went down, and I, anyway, it's going to be good. I, it's actually really educational, and I think people will get a lot out of it. So it's a true life account. Yeah, and and I think a lot of other people have made the same uh, mistakes and have uh, made money by making this uh, very very bad mistake. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. Uh, so that sounds fascinating. And just a reminder uh, for our audience, at midnight tonight, uh, the price of tickets goes up from $499 to $599. So if you're watching uh, and you want a ticket for the Festival of Learning, see uh, the link in the description below. Our Real Vision Daily Briefing viewers can get an additional 10% off when they use the code DAILYBRIEFING at checkout. And at that price, you receive a plus tier subscription to Real Vision uh, along with your ticket, which is a pretty good deal. That's great. Yeah, and uh, two uh, free uh, drink tickets uh, at the bar, right? <laughs> Can we do it in Greenwich? Can I just like come up? We'll do it in Greenwich. Yeah, come on up. Look at me. I come and hang out. Got a <laughs> sofa right there that you know. It's much more comfortable looking than my apartment. I can assure you of that. My it's New York an City. Old, it's an old house uh, that's been refurbished in um, in Greenwich. It's my office. Yeah. This is not my house. <laughs> All right, Tommy, let's jump in here and talk about Bitcoin. We were talking about this a little bit uh, off camera. Tell us, what do you make of the recent price action? I don't know if we are completely washed out on the downside. And there are a couple things that I've tweeted out over the last few days. Uh, I haven't been positive on, on Bitcoin. Uh, I see five waves going down. We've actually uh, qualified into the fifth wave uh, in Bitcoin on the downside. And yes, I have some uh, tweets out earlier uh, with Ethereum and Bitcoin. The, the, I, I look at the mark indicators and 
one of the indicators, the sequential, which is one of the main indicators on Sunday uh, for both Bitcoin and Ethereum did trigger buy signals. However, we weren't at new lows yet, and we were just sort of holding support. So there's a secondary uh, indicator called the combo, and the combo has not triggered, and I still see a few more days lower. And to trigger the combo, we have to make new lows uh, going forward. So on Bitcoin, there it's on day 11, so we're going to need two more uh, new lows, uh, two more days of new lows. Ethereum is on day four, so that's a bit more. It's going to take a little bit more time for that to play out, but it could, you know, you could see some bounces here and there. And I, I remember, um, I think we talked about it. It was either you or um, that fabulous uh, Ed Harrison, who I will miss. Uh, we talked about it that uh, Julian Brigden and I talk every few weeks, and he was telling me when this whole China crackdown was coming, he said, this is really serious, and it's coming from the top down, the top down in the government. And I think we know who that is, or some of the main players there. So I think they're they're really serious about this, and I, I do think it's a risk, and I, I, I think people are still generally bullish on on bitcoin they're hopeful and i i have no axe to grind because i don't trade bitcoin i analyze bitcoin so i have mostly an unbiased view but uh when i look at one of my sentiment indicators uh, i look at cnbc's website and sometimes whatever they're saying i will look at it and say eh, no it's not a complete washout yet because they're saying there's a headline saying yes it's you know it's not quite in a bear market yet and i don't know what percentage or type of move that we need to see to get bitcoin and ethereum into a bear market but i'll tell you this is pretty dramatic what what we've seen <laughs> cnbc is the counter indicator for all things digital assets no there's they're a counter indicator indicator for a lot of things i mean they I was telling someone today, I said, they are, when you, when you watch CNBC, and I, I have friends that work at CNBC, and uh, they talk about what's already worked. Hey, today we're talking about Google, it hit a new high, Microsoft hit a new high. Who cares? Let's talk about what you can buy right now that has more upside rather than something that's already had a giant move. I mean, maybe that's just my... Um, process where I like to talk about things that are going to move soon, not what already has happened. So I, what a crazy I think, idea. Well, I know it's, that's why I'm never on CNBC, but I think that with Bitcoin, I'd like to see a real washout. I'd like to see some fear really get into it. And I know there's pro I, I just don't see it enough. Um, maybe I'm not looking in the right places or hearing it from certain people, but you got to see some people throw in the towel and say uh, enough. And speaking of throwing in the towel, um, I think we, we talked about Coindesk and I bought it, um, recommended uh, buying it just a small amount on the day of the offering. I think, I think Tommy, I think you mean Coinbase. Coinbase. Sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. Um, so I bought some. And my, I averaged my cost down, and that was sort of my plan. It was sort of a, a multi-quarter type 
idea because they make so much money uh, on the commissions that they charge. And it's just obscene. It's like 1970s style commissions and they don't have the competition quite yet that, um, you know, there's no, I don't, I don't see a Charles Schwab, uh, you know, disrupting their business model yet. So I was thinking, okay, this company, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all the cryptos go up or down. They're making money with all the volatility. And, and but I just I gave up today. I just I said, no, nah, I, I really don't feel like, you know, holding on to this. It's a loser. I can rebuy it. That's kind of my thought. If yeah. it starts to stabilize and move up, gets a squeeze, I'll, I'll rebuy it. But move on. Yeah. By the way, I should say I ran markets coverage uh, at CoinDesk, and I used to goof it up in the stories. They would have to change Coinbase to CoinDesk and CoinDesk to Coinbase in the actual stories that I was writing for CoinDesk. Really? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, everyone. <laughs> By the way, what you're describing uh, is the classic description of capitulation. Uh, tell us a little bit about what capitulation looks like, how you think about capitulation more broadly, and how you think it might apply or what it might look like if it were to happen in Bitcoin. Okay, well, there's there's upside capitulation and downside capitulation, and you can reverse either way. Um, the downside capitulation, generally speaking, you see extreme volatility uh, you know, right before it. And, and we've seen that uh, with Bitcoin. Giant volume, um, and then you get a reversal. So yeah, maybe this was a bit of a, a reversal, um, some capitulation. I, I don't see it yet with the fear. One other thing that you tend to see uh, at bottoms, uh, you have the uh, Lower price targets now. Now Scott Menard from is it Guggenheim or yeah BlackRock? I don't. I get them mixed up. He came out and he's had a four hundred thousand price target on Bitcoin. He came out and said twenty thousand today. Okay, so he's off. You know, three hundred eighty thousand dollars from his uh, price target. Uh, but I think what, that's a start. X? Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. So you know, our new valuation model says twenty thousand. I, I, I don't know. I but, you, or you see people. Um, there's been some famous uh, Bitcoin bulls that have had giant price targets, and then they at the lows they said, "I'm I no longer want to give price targets. It's just it's a fruitless uh, endeavor." Uh, and then it goes up, and then they start giving price targets again. So that that's. Uh, what I think is is happening. I just don't see the pukage yet that is really, you know, where I can call a bottom. So insufficient pukage to see capitulation to see what you think is a bottom. I mean, if we see it like a newspaper headline, the New York Post or New York Times about you know the end of the world with Bitcoin or crypto, that's probably going to be you know, sufficient. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
But do we? And listen, I, I just want to play devil's advocate here. You obviously uh, are very serious about technical analysis, about DeMarc indicators. This isn't something that I do. I'm not a technical analyst. Uh, but I look, and and what I see is is kind of striking. I'll, I'll give you two things on the price side that are interesting to me. Uh, the first is, and I, this is based on work uh, from Willie Wu uh, that I read a few weeks ago about the 2017. Uh, massive bull market uh, in Bitcoin, where we saw 40 plus percent retracements during that massive bull rally, uh, when it you know some number of X timed uh, in a relatively short period of time. This strikes me as you know something that's just about the volatility of the asset class. Let me just throw out some data points for you. So the first, and to me perhaps most significant one, is that we see uh, support around this 32,000 level, which is roughly. 50% of the 52-week high. It dipped down. I saw this morning it was trading around 29, uh, maybe even the high 28s, depending upon what exchange you saw it trading on. When there's volatility, we often get inter-exchange deltas on the price uh, because they're not, you know, there's no national best bid, best offer, uh, obviously, for Bitcoin. So you see that volatility and you see that um, those price spreads. But when I look across the screen here, here's what I see, and this is what's intriguing to me. And and you tell me what you think, Tommy. To me, it just screams volatility. So, so the week-to-date performance on Bitcoin is minus eight percent. The one-month performance on Bitcoin is minus fourteen percent. Year-to-date, roughly six months through June twenty-second, we are up twelve point eight percent. So, if you bought Bitcoin on January one, you're up twelve point eight percent. And year to one-year performance, one-year performance, twelve-month performance of Bitcoin up. 239-ish percent. Now, if you bought at the top and your dollar is currently worth 50 cents, that doesn't feel like much other than cold comfort. But when I look at those numbers, it's just striking to me. I just see volatility, intense volatility. I don't know, is it directional? Is it not directional? How do we know? How do you know? And what do DeMarc indicators and technical indicators give you as a guide in a situation such as this? Uh, well, I, I can say that the DeMarc indicators have worked pretty well, uh, and over, over the, the general um, longer period, uh, this last run-up into the, was it the February highs, uh, that had the daily signals uh, producing short-term little 10% drops, which is for Bitcoin, that's not volatility, that's that's like bid ask spread for you know the bulls. They're like, oh no problem, buy more. Uh, but the the thing that I was really keying on was the weekly. So when I see daily signals getting run over, and and trust me, I've seen it a hundred times or more, uh, where the signals on the daily don't work or they don't produce a, a significant enough pullback for some people. I mean, a ten percent pullback is the jobs being that's job done. It's, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Or even a stall. That's, it just, it's an exhaustion signal. But when I start to see longer-term exhaustion signals on the weekly, which we saw when it was over 60,000, that starts to give me a bit of an intermediate-term topping situation that I'm looking out for. So it's it's pulled back. Uh, we've had some volatility all the way down. We we went down hard. We went back up. I mean, it, it's like the Elon Musk tweets have you know caused a lot of volatility. But it's Bitcoin. It to me is really a sentiment driven asset, and it, it's 
it, it's very hard for me. I just, um, and a lot of people could d- disagree and say, well, maybe you need to learn about it. Maybe I do, but I, I just, I think it's just sentiment driven and the technical stuff is basically a sentiment driven type of indicator. That's how I've looked at it. I, I also look at waves and it's in the fifth wave down. So if it goes lower, which I think it will, that will be the final wave down. And that happened in 2000 from 2017 through 2018. And when it was in $3,200, I had to mark buy signals. And I, I will tell you this, I told a lot of people, I, I was talking about it on, on hedge fund telemetry and I didn't have a whole lot of people get so enthusiastic about it, which gave me the thought of that's probably when you want to be more inclined to be a buyer. Went over 4,000. I said, hey, this thing's got legs. And it, it continued higher. And I had a few, you know, you know, buy opportunities that I, I recommended. So it, it's um, sentiment is really, you know, can be seen in technical indicators. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned exhaustion signals uh, from a DeMarc perspective, which is something that you've talked about here before. Give us a little bit of a primer on exhaustion signals and specifically how they relate uh, to your view of Bitcoin. Okay, well, it's it actually the DeMarc uh, signals, uh, I look at the sequential and combo. Not going to go through it too much on this, but basically uh, they are a trend and uh, trend indicator that uh, once you start to get into those numbers where there is a setup, which is the first nine um, uh, nine green numbers, and you can see it on my uh, Twitter, you can see the charts, that's the setup. And then after that, um, you get more of a confirmation called the sequential that will start. And then it ends with a red 13. Now, when I see those types of signals, you tend to see a reversal within the next 10 bars, next 10 days, next 10 weeks. Um, and that's if they don't trigger um, a reversal, then the trend uh, will likely continue. Uh, I, I actually offer some information on uh, my site. If anybody wants, I can send them uh, some of the primers that I have. It's, um, it's a little complex. It took me 20 years to figure out how to use them. Yeah. But it's interesting that your thesis is that because it's such a sentiment-driven asset class that these signals apply very closely in the uh, price action that you see. Yeah. And I I run DeMarc indicators on stocks, bonds, currencies, commodities, economic reports. Uh, I track everything. And I try to find things sometimes that are completely obscure. And like I always do it in the spring around Cinco de Mayo uh, on on Mexican avocados because um, you can track that on Bloomberg. So that's something I, I do. You can always see when it peaks. It's right around May. Surprising, but the indicators tend to work work really well that way. And it's it, the indicators tend to work really really well on commodities, currencies, um, rates have it's it's worked well really well lately uh this the s&p people will complain and say oh it's it, it doesn't work they don't work well they actually do um and it's it's difficult though when you have this super high or super strong trending market 
uh, the, the, we've seen a bunch of daily signals and it stalls out for a few days or weeks. And the last pullback, we had some signals right before it. So it, it's, it, it, it's, it's a lot of people expect, you know, a 1987 correct or crash every time you get a signal, but that doesn't necessarily, um, it, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. It could mean it's just going to stall out for a while. Yeah. Um, by the way, I should mention we're, we're being broadcast live on Twitter. Did you know that Tommy? Oh, literally okay. the show is being broadcast live on Twitter right now as we speak. Hey, Twitter, what's happening? <laughs> it's cool. I, I, I've actually watched some shows on, on Twitter. Uh, there's a couple of Bloomberg shows that they were doing live on Twitter. And uh, so everybody's looking at their phone going, huh? <laughs> no, it's cool. It's, it's actually really cool. I, I, I love, uh, I love actually in uh, the interplay with uh, the real vision people. Uh, some of the comments, um, you know, I get the mean tweets uh, against me and I always try to be a little bit, funny it doesn't bother me everybody it really doesn't oh your chair squeaks oh you're slouching or this is guy's the worst you know hey maybe maybe true i you know we've heard Sorry, i don't i don't know where you're looking i just see nothing but enormous love for you on twitter in the youtube streaming chat uh on in the comments in the questions it's everywhere this is like you're one of our favorite guests Thank you. Thank you, Ash. The check's in the mail. <laughs> Let me, uh, speaking of checks and banks, one other thing that I wanted to throw out while we're having this conversation about Bitcoin uh, is one of the stories, uh, talk about things that we've heard many times before. I think I've heard at least half a dozen times uh, that China has banned Bitcoin. Um, and in the most recent wave uh, of this, you know, I guess you could call it an incremental progressive crackdown. Uh, basically, what PBOC, uh, People's Bank of China, this is their Fed, obviously their central bank, a primary regulator and also monetary policy function, uh, said to the Chinese banks, especially as I understand it, which is to say not very deeply, uh, the Chinese development banks, the state-owned Chinese development banks, which is basically like, hey, we're serious, don't make me have to turn this car around, kids. No trading uh, and no mining, and so effectively, what you have is PBOC telling their regulated banks, you know, this is this is a no go zone, uh, and that applies not just to the state owned banks, uh, but also to the uh, to the Ant Financials, the Alipays of the world. So they're basically signaling. We're very serious about this. Now they haven't banned uh, cryptocurrency uh, ownership. They haven't banned a payment yet. Uh, they certainly haven't banned possession for Chinese citizens. But what they're doing uh, is what you would expect a very well organized, centrally controlled state to do, which is cracking down gradually, incrementally at the margins, squeezing out uh, at every possible turn more and more players from the market. Yeah. Well, that's China. China is going to. They don't talk about it. They do it. And look at what happened with Jack Ma. Jack Ma is, you know, he's missing in action. He's he's been neutered by the Chinese government because he became too powerful. Um, and Financial is now going to be a, basically a state-owned bank. Um, their their powers are, you know, nullified. They they were competing with. Uh, the Chinese mega banks and the um, almost like a shadow bank. So they don't, I've seen it. I mean, I've, I've done some stuff in with Chinese uh, markets and I've seen how if China doesn't like something, they just end it. It's over. 
and they're serious. It's not like the United States or in Europe where they just sort of talk about it in Congress and then it never happens. They will knock this out if they don't want it. And I don't know the extent of where they're going with this, but they're really serious. And that's exactly what Julian Brigden said to me. He said they are absolutely serious about the Bitcoin mining. I mean, they haven't said anything about outright banning it. And but, you know, maybe they're they're soft pedaling here and saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. Maybe they're they're going to. Um, do something more extreme. I, I don't know. Yeah. By the way, I should say, um, we've focused on Bitcoin because there's dramatic price action there. Obviously, uh, people who bought at or near the top experienced a lot of pain. We don't want to sugarcoat that. You know, 50%, sometimes greater than 50% uh, retracement from a high. It's a it's a real pain trade for people who bought in at the highs. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that are going on in the world uh, today as well. I was actually reading the Hedge Fund Telemetry newsletter from today, June 22nd, where you call today uh, something of a messy day. Let's talk a little bit uh, about Jay Powell on the Hill uh, giving testimony uh, and what your takeaways from that testimony were. Um, nothing's changed. He, he's saying the same exact thing, basically. He's backpedaled some of the hawkish comments that were you know, initially seen in the Fed statement. And he's backpedaling it. And there's a bunch of Fed speakers all week. They're, they're probably going to, it's sort of a passive aggressive play right now. Some will be a little bit more hawkish. Some will be, um, Meister was, I think, saying, no, oh, we're going to, it's a wait and see. We want to see two big job number reports. So they're, they're, they're playing the game, which basically is, is just a waiting game for the market. And, and, giving a mixed message, which is perfect for the market because it doesn't swing one way or the uh, or another. So what, what, what's going to happen? Uh, the equity market has exceptionally low volume today and, and yesterday too. Uh, the market is drifting higher with the leading by the mega cap tech names. And uh, let me just look at where we ended up. I have like these custom indexes. Uh, okay, so the MAGA index, which is Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon, was up um, a little over one percent. The S and P was up uh, fifty-one or yeah, fifty-one basis points, half percent. The Nasdaq one hundred was up ninety-four percent. No surprise there with these uh, mega cap names leading. So it's it's we've already seen it a bit. We've talked about it where. You've seen the peak of reopening uh, is probably behind us. The reopening trade names, the the restaurants, hotels, airlines, theme parks, uh, have are maybe a little behind us. Now, the other thing that's happening, and it's, it's you can see it every day, every other day. You have this flip-flop of what's working and what's not working. And I look at yeah. factors of what's working. And so like all the rate-sensitive financials um, yeah. were were great yesterday. Uh, and you know, they got murdered earlier today and then they bounced back a bit. Yeah, let me jump let me jump in there with the with the numbers yeah. from the close, right? So so the Nasdaq uh, is the big winner of the major indices today, up uh, about point uh, about eight tenths of a percent, uh, closing at fourteen thousand two fifty-three. 
Um, the Dow up the least, uh, up basically 0.2%, closing at 33,945. But this is exactly what you were saying, Tommy. It's like this weird ping pong effect between growth and value on the sector rotation. It's something that we we could have had this conversation uh, three months ago. Uh, it just seems to be like this 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 ping pong. Tell us a, a little bit of what you make of that. Well, one other thing that's interesting today, um, breath was good yesterday, really strong. 95% of the S&P stocks were up yesterday. I mean, yeah. Okay. I mean, and that's almost the opposite of Friday. And today, the NASDAQ, um, I just hit the NASDAQ and NYSE. So the NYSE was up 460 issues, and the NASDAQ was up 196 issues. And it closed up, the NASDAQ, uh, that's the NASDAQ composite that closed on its high for breath today. So that's not necessarily a great message. And that's kind of the messiness that I'm seeing in the market. It's not like everything is working. And the other thing that was kind of crazy last week is that the market hit a new, the S&P hit a new high that in the week and closed down on the week. And I think it was on Thursday or Friday that there were like 200 and 200, almost 250 new 20-day lows. So if you get 20-day lows after a couple days after hitting a new all-time high, uh, that's that's saying there's some underlying weakness out there in the market. And that that's a bit of a concern. And, and the majority of ETFs that I track are still well below their 10-day and 20-day moving average. And about half of them are below the 50-day moving average. So it's not necessarily a great sign that you know we're at all-time highs and you have that type of action that's that's it should, it should be a lot stronger let's just say so i you know perhaps the market's gonna roar back and really break out and see more participation but that's the data that i'm watching and it's um you know it's not everybody's stocks are going up yeah you also said something that was interesting, where you said uh, Jay Powell back on the Hill basically saying the same thing. I was just looking at the uh, the lead on the top story uh, in Bloomberg's top function, uh, and the lead is stocks climbed after Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell reiterated his view that inflation pressures will be transitory, even after a notable increase in recent months. I mean, you literally could have printed that, you know, obviously on Wednesday when the when the statement came exactly. out. Minutes. I mean, it's really there's no new information in the market. Well, this kind of reminds me of the Greenspan in Bernanke and Yellen. They said the same thing over and over and over. And, and and Greenspan was great because he said stuff and everybody was kind of questioning what the hell he, did he just say. And he was a master at that. So, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the main thing that um, I think the Fed's going to be on hold doing anything unless something crazy happens. Um, repo markets um, are still, you know, wild. I didn't see the numbers today on that, but uh, I, I think that the Fed is going to have more pressure to, uh, you know, change policy, um, l- lower the amount that the QE per month. Uh, that'll help the repo markets because there's just way too much cash uh, looking for a home and looking for money markets at Fidelity and all these other random places. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. By the way, talking of the love that Tommy Thornton gets on Real Vision, we have literally like two pages of questions for you and like and like 10 minutes to get them done. Hey, let's go. Speed. You want to jump in for a speed round? Yeah, let's go speed round. Okay, here we go. Uh, are there counterparty risks that could cause significant market or systemic risks if Bitcoin collapses? That is from Max. I wonder if that's Max Weathy. That sounds like it could be a Max Weathy question. We'll find out. Uh, the counterparty risks? I mean, you can say uh, Michael Saylor is a counterparty risk because he has a fair amount of Bitcoin um, with MicroStrategy. Uh, I, I don't know if there... I mean... Um, yeah, there's there's counterparty risk, but I don't know necessarily where. I mean, okay, everybody's talked about Tether and, and Binance and all these other things that are potential catalysts out there. Uh, I, that is a big risk. There's there's the people that say there's no issue there, and then there's the people that say this is a ticking time bomb. I probably lean more towards the ticking time bomb because I'd like to see a little bit more clarity with what assets they have. I mean, they're in the Cayman Islands, so maybe Raul can drop by and see what they have in their storage. Stop by and say hello. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Smith, are the rate hikes all talk in a world where tech, retail, and real estate are all in deflation? Patrick Smith. Uh, I think rate hikes are going to be a long way away. And I think we're going to be in this, we're going to taper. And then the markets are going to get difficult, so we're going to add a little bit back, and then we're going to taper, and then we're going to add a little bit back, and that can go over for a few more years. I don't see them uh, raising rates. If they do raise rates, that would be actually bullish, because the last few times they've raised rates, the markets have actually performed pretty well uh, until they make the last rate hike, and that's always called the policy mistake. The last one. Uh, <laughs> go back to 1936 and uh, 37 and, and uh, uh, you know, going back to December of uh, 2018. Oh, it's a mistake. You know, oh, God. You know, it's a mistake. The last one is always the mistake. Yeah. Oh, I also oh, remember. Deflation. Also... Go on. Hold on. Let me say something. Go ahead. Uh, technology always is deflationary because you have better technology. It eliminates... Um, it eliminates jobs. It eliminates the need for 10 devices. You've got an iPhone that you only need an iPhone. You don't need a fax machine, a camera, a computer, a phone, all these things. It's all in one. So, yes, that's happening. I think um, I think the, re uh, the, the REITs uh, sector is a little bit dangerous because, okay, we're reopening. Things are People are told to come back to work, but not everybody's going back to work. And I think that a lot of these companies, especially in New York City, they're not going to need the amount of real estate that they have. And I don't think the REITs are going to collect with, they're back to old COVID, you know, pre-COVID levels. They're not going to be making the same amount of money for a long time, if not ever. So I think their valuations are exceptionally high. And, and that's another one. Once we get the fully reopening and people start going back to work, we'll see 
how well those do, but I think there's a risk there. Yeah. Here's one from Medjid X. Medjid X. We need a DeMarc indicator on coin, Tommy. Um, on, on, on Coinbase? They're looking at, yeah, they're looking at Okay. Tech. Yeah, there's a, it's a day four of 13 on the downside. That's why I, I puked out of it. I just don't want to look at it anymore. Okay, next. I don't want to talk about it. I talk about my losses, though. I, I do broadcast my losses, and I, I, you know, I jump on my sword. I, I could have been the low today. No, I'll buy it back. Tom, nobody is more transparent about their losses than you are. Oh. But it literally, like in the so whole industry. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of my losses. <laughs> uh, Tom, here's one for you. This is an interesting one. Tom, what do you think about Chinese tech stocks and Chinese China's overall market over the next? 15 months. Also, uh, Chinese stocks, ADRs versus non-ADRs. These are the American depository receipts uh, for owning them onshore in the U.S. So, China tech stocks, ADRs versus non-ADRs to own. Well, there's regulatory risk um, in China and in the U.S. So, they, uh, to China, they've seen the power of Alibaba. They've seen the power of Tencent and some of the others, and they're clamping down on them. And I think that's a headwind. Uh, and then you have the U.S. Is with their anti-Chinese rhetoric um, will be tough. They print money, basically, these companies, and they, they're doing really, really well. Um, they might run into some tough comps in the next few quarters. I have traded uh, the K-Web ETF. Um, I shorted it at the highs, made some money, tried to buy it, stopped out. Uh, but right now, I'm on the sidelines. I think China does have a little bit of risk right now. Yeah. Here's a great question from UIM. UIM, even though the market is choppy, why isn't VIX going anywhere? ETF indexes are not breaking highs, and VIX is grinding lower day by day. Please share your thoughts on the VIX entry. And by the way, for reference, uh, VIX closing out uh, the day today at 16.66. I don't think there's any significance we can attribute to the 666 at the end of the number, but it is going down uh, and is relatively low. Um, okay, so uh, it was like a like 10 days ago, I said there's a little bit of a calm versus the storm. The volatility of the VIX, uh, this was ahead of the Fed, was rising and the VIX was uh, not rising enough. And I, I, when I saw that happening, uh, I could see that perhaps uh, I overlaid that and I also overlaid TLT, and, and that was rising as well. So we had a bit of a spike in the VIX, and then the market, in my opinion, has calmed down and, and is accepting the pseudo-hawkish rhetoric from... The Fed and Powell and is is calming down, and I also think, well, this conspiracy theory that um, Janet Yellen um, has her uh, joystick and uh, sells VIX, uh, especially on Fridays, just to you know irritate everybody. But that's um, don't at me, people. <laughs> Looks like we get time for one more uh, short question. Uh, here's one that comes to us from Gabriel. Uh, oil question. Do you see oil hitting 80 to $83 uh, by September of this year? Um, 
And for reference, it looks like WTI is uh, last trade 73.08. This is July 21. It, it's it's certainly possible, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. Um, I've I was trading in and out of of energy stocks all year, and I, I actually I, I was long energy, got out of them, uh, and I actually shorted them for some trades recently. Uh, I, I do think that we're getting a little extended on oil. The, the sentiment on oil is moving into the extreme zone. There's still some, you know, potential. It wouldn't take much to get get it to those levels. But then again, you know, think about what's going to happen in, in, with the consumer. You know, it's like a tax hike every time energy prices go up, and that I think. Uh, will will put some pressure on oil prices. I don't think that I don't think that they want oil prices, the powers that be, to go too high because then they'll get pressure from other countries, and um, that I think they'll they'll moderate it. So I think that oil prices, yeah, I can go a little bit more, but I, I'm not necessarily jumping in here saying this is a great buy right here. Yeah, that's interesting and very well said, like getting a tax hike whenever energy prices, uh, oil prices rise. And so, conversely, also, uh, I should say, whenever the dollar goes down. You yeah, basically- and you know, I, I, I think that one last thing, I think we've talked about, I, I've, I was expecting the dollar to, to rise, and it did. Uh, it got a little short-term overbought, and I think it's going to come back down, but I, I still think that the dollar could continue higher, and it's frustrated the hell out of I'm sure all the dollar bears out there, and the you know the inflation people and the anti-Fed people, and you know it, it's probably driven them absolutely crazy. Yeah, Tom. As always on this show, we've covered a tremendous amount of ground, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different topics. We had a lot more here, you know. I'll just well, write about it tomorrow. We're just going to have to get you to come back. Uh, I'll see. Yeah, I'm supposed to be here a week from uh, two weeks from today, yeah. which I really love. I, I really like being on here. It's it's casual. It's fun. Um, you're a great host, and uh, I'm looking forward to the Real Vision uh, Festival of Learning. I'm going to learn you a lot. Um, so no, we're going to have a good time. <laughs> yeah, that's actually just what I was about to pivot to. Uh, once again, uh, to say that at midnight tonight, prices go up. We'd love to see you there. Uh, it's always fun. I think it's the most fun event Revision does of the year because we just do all these really interesting things. Like we have uh, Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman uh, coming in, Howard Marks uh, on the program. Uh, it's just a great, uh, great list of people and some really great panels, great discussions, and great conversation. Yeah, Daniel's. Um... Uh, yeah, he's he's one that I definitely want to watch. Uh, Hugh Hendry, is he on this year? I don't know if Hugh is on this year, but I can tease this. I just did a conversation with Hugh Hendry today uh, at noon that's going to be absolutely fantastic on the crypto side. Talking about I the, the last time he like injured himself or something was crazy. He's just funny as all hell. Um, so I'm excited about that. Yeah. We've got a bunch of different things. Uh, I, I'm I'm a fan. I'll be watching it. My my newsletter that I post every day uh, will probably be late because I'll be watching it and be distracted um, with all the good stuff. Yeah, I think last time Hugh had was like surfing in like high wind yeah. or high surf, and he busted his head open on a surfboard yeah. and came to the panel like with a concussion and bleeding. But did the panel? Yeah. That's dedicated. I, I yeah, that was a. I I think he was he was really pretty good. And you know, very clear-headed, and uh, maybe you know, knock some you know, 
calmness into him because he's normally the most wild guest you can ever have on Real Vision. And I, I love that about him. Yeah, he was actually very, you know, he was actually very focused today uh, because we were talking about something that's really interesting, which is this tokenization revolution that's happening. I think he was one of my favorite guests. He's he's brilliant. And you just never have any idea when the cameras go on where it's going to end, right? Yeah. And he, I'd like to party with that guy, you know, that he just looks like a fun time. <laughs> uh, so join in tomorrow, please. Uh, if you are around, uh, join the Festival of Learning, something I'm really looking forward to. I'm hosting a couple panels I think on I think on Friday. I don't know if I'm doing any tomorrow, but I'm hosting some on Friday, and I think maybe one on Thursday. So really looking forward to that. And Tommy, looking forward to seeing you there. Well, I'll I'll be there. I'll shave. I'll put on a suit and tie, and really look, you know, suitish. Suit and ties are so not real vision, man. I that's yeah. I don't. I can't remember when I wore a suit and tie the last time. I can't either. Dave Portnoy called me a suit on Twitter once. Were you like? Because I have a suit on my my handle, on <laughs> my, I my picture. I, I do too. Yeah, I need to change that. Tom, once again, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. All right, Ash. Thanks for watching, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.